Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to... What was this called again? Far From Home. A podcast about two Asian Canadians who moved pretty far from home. What's up, Alex? Dude, I bought a carton of eggs recently, and I'm so sad because three out of the ten eggs were cracked already. (laughs) I didn't check it because I trusted the system too much. I didn't check it. Alex, you always check the eggs. Why are you not checking the eggs? I I don't know. The, the packaging looks so nice that like I just trust it. And I feel like in Singapore, the eggs are just higher quality. But apparently not because three of them were broken. The, egg, the eggs are quite high quality here too. Just you feel like you're just too good to check eggs at this point? No, it's like the packaging looks good. Like yeah. first world country... I was complacent. Alex, think if you only check the eggs, think of all the money you could save for all the t-shirts you could buy. The money I saved from three cracked eggs. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Although I I remember I once had this morning, I woke up and I was going to make eggs and I immediately opened the fridge and I dropped the whole carton on the ground and I had six cracked eggs on the floor. That that was a very sad is morning. Horrific. <laughs> that was like two cartons with your cracked eggs. Oh my gosh! It's like it's like the world's against you. Every time you crack an egg by accident, it's like the world hates you. It yes. wants it wants you to fail in life. It's trying to make what you have give I up. Done? If my eggs were going to crack randomly any year, it should be this year, twenty twenty. Yeah. But hey, Jason. Speaking speaking of t shirts, I bought a seven dollar workout t shirt, and it was so <laughs> worth it. I don't, I don't even know wow. how to express how happy I was. It's to the point where I'm, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. I'm probably going to buy like five more just just to spite you. And the, the children in the labor camps will be crying, Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're from Sri Lanka, not, not Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. So, Alex, what are we going to talk about today? So, the topic for today is trying to fit in. Because I think we're both in like pretty interesting situations, right? Like... I'm Chinese Canadian. I, I look Chinese. I can speak a bit of Mandarin, but I don't act like a Singaporean. I don't I don't speak English like a Singaporean, so I I stick out pretty pretty easily. Mm. And I think the same goes for you. Yeah, that pretty much sums up my whole life. Um so I'm Japanese Canadian, but actually I don't look that Japanese, which is Really? Well, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, this is where none of our listeners will know who don't know me because this is a podcast. But um, some people will say I do. Some people will say I don't. My family, like my father and brother, certainly do. I don't Your know father what looks to me. very Japanese. Yes, I don't know what happened to me. Um, but I guess sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's a curse um, at the same time. So I, just take it as it is. I do have to say, the first time... Um, me and my friend, my friend and I came to J- Japan to like see you. Yeah. We looked at the clothes you were wearing and you, we were like, holy shit, he's assimilated. He's a Japanese person now. <laughs> you were wearing like the, the like the Egyptian flowy pants they're thing. They're not Egyptian, man. They're I just don't know. Pants. But they're like the, fl- it's like loose yoga pants. I don't know. It, it looks weird to yeah, me. Yeah, they're nice. They're breezy. Yeah, Although well, I sort of got over that. Um, oh, okay. Whole trying to fit in thing. You had a very Japanese haircut and you had very Japanese glasses. That's what I remember. I'm still wearing them. I mean, I think anyone who travels anywhere, 
you inevitably feel some sort of social pressure to conform to sort of dress and act like the people who surround you yeah um but yeah i certainly think more so when i came here i probably had a stronger phase of thinking that is important to look and act japanese but not and not act canadian right in some ways yeah um and i think this is something that many of my japanese friends who were, were raised in other countries and come to japan can echo um that when they first come here it's like it's all about acting very japanese but yeah reality strikes very hard and the world quickly reminds you that you are not one of the people here and it becomes something you just give up on very quickly <laughs> yeah like when i came to singapore i was i was kind of proud that i was a canadian that came to singapore and then uh-huh and then i quickly realized like how much i stuck out but not just that but the the way people feel about expats in singapore and i would say it's quite different compared to canada cuz like canada really encourages people to immigrate there right mm-hmm. whereas singapore might not be as foreigner friendly and so i quickly realized like oh man i gotta like play it down speak like them yeah play it down you know don't don't pronounce my r's that well that kind of thing (laughs) and and now after like consuming a lot of singaporean media um when i talk back to some of the people that i met when i came to singapore they comment they're like alex you're the the way you speak not really like the accent but the way i speak is a lot more singaporean now yeah like i leave out certain words i use certain words in replacement of others and it's it's kind of weird i don't know if my friends would like it save him save him (laughs) someone go save him (laughs) but yeah that's that's what happens you you conform to the people around you yeah we're nothing we're nothing more than the product of our surroundings at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I'd agree. Sorry, our, our environments. Yeah. For me, I have this weird dilemma where I consume so much Singaporean media that I'd say I've, I've gotten down like 85% of the slang that like locals would use. Maybe I wouldn't pick up on all of them, but if they ask me like, oh, do you know what Paise means? I'll be like, yeah, of course. Oh. I hear it on like the YouTube channels I watch. Save this man. But, but like... When I talk to an actual Singaporean or like hang out with them, I don't want to seem like I know everything. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't yeah. want to be like the foreigner that's like, oh, I know your culture. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Those yeah. Obnoxious foreigners. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like how much, how much have you conformed in Japan? Um, I think maybe at the start I would have conformed a bit more like, oh, it, it, I, I remember putting a lot of thought into it, even like looking at people just walk down the street, looking at people buy stuff at the grocery store. How do they stand? How do they walk? Well, that's really intense. Yeah. And how do I mimic that? Like, like it was really important, but eventually you realize that like, that's not you if you're in, that's no way to live just like trying to mimic the people around you perfectly. So I think in some ways subconsciously or whatever the word is unconsciously, you will be influenced by these people Mm. um around you but it's sort of unhealthy to try to actively change yourself to fit in that's my general feeling and so i was wondering 
when you use the singlish or talk to these people in this way is it some sort of active effort to try to fit more in or do you think it's just something that's happened so i don't actively um use a singlish yeah like your singlish bible your singlish dictionary oh my gosh (laughs) yeah it's just like a page that says le la yeah Yeah. there is a singlish bible it's written in singlish i had no idea but my my singlish accent doesn't actually come out unless i'm and speaking to like, um, like service like service workers, like restaurant servers, you know, someone at a cashier, yeah, someone that I'm gonna like exchange less than ten words with, yeah. Then I'll usually like say say tree instead of three. Yeah, I I used to do that too actually. Um, yeah, for our listeners' knowledge, I li- used to live in Singapore for a bit. Yeah, like like I don't want to blend in because when I when I go to a hawker center, which is like a food court in Singapore. Yeah. As much as it is for everyone, yeah, they, they they welcome locals more, right? It's like a Singaporean culture thing. Hawker centers, you're like so, one of them. Yeah, as so a like, local, like, I come in, I, I start speaking my like Canadian English, and they're like, "The fuck, yeah, who this? yeah, yeah." I um, well, I know exactly what you mean. Like when I used to live in Singapore, like again, you you just you don't want to um, you don't want to like disturb the environment that you're in and in some ways like being asian or like being asian canadian is sort of like a rare blessing in that sense in that we can walk into a hawker center and no one would bat an eye because we look like pretty similar to them or if you dress a certain way, they probably can't tell that you're not from Singapore. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so that's already like a little blessing in itself. And we don't want to really stand out, I think. And maybe that's partially an Asian culture thing and being raised with Asian parents where standing out is not seen as a virtue. Yeah. And so, yeah, I remember also being in Singapore and trying to order like can i get number three like very quickly and order like them and pay like them and just like not disrupt the system and keep the peace and i think there was something that felt really good about that i will say you you blended in splinter cell style yes (laughs) my cardboard box (laughs) yeah like for me yeah like being chinese canadian is such a blessing because I ask a lot of my foreigner friends, like if they have Singaporean friends, and most of them say no, or yeah, like yeah. like one or two. And I think for me, even though I I speak Canadian English, like when you look at me, it's like easier to relate to me because I'm Chinese looking, yeah. right? And so I don't want to say it's like a game, but I'm kind of proud that I have a decent number of Singaporean friends. That, yeah. I can, that I can hang out with. Yeah. When I was in Singapore too, I had a lot of Singaporean friends and obviously I, I can't see how much like being like looking Asian made them comfortable to talk and hang out with me. Um, but I also know that being Japanese made it easy for them to hang out with me. Maybe they were all just huge anime fans actually. And oh yeah. Yeah. They wanted someone to talk to about with, with anime. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this is a sad realization. <laughs> so, 
I kind of told about talked about how in Singapore, like expats don't have the greatest um, connotation, right? Like, how is it like in Japan? Because they're so much more xenophobic, right? They see, <laughs> they might see like a darker skinned person, and they're like, "Ah, oh, run" or something. <laughs> well, I I actually I think the way that Japanese people just like how they communicate and just like aggressiveness in Japan. Where it's not like people are not usually like outright aggressive, like yelling, for example, or like physical. They don't verbally uh, address things. Yeah, it it comes in a lot of ways of um, verbal like discrimination as well as exclusion. I would say, mm. and so yeah. it's not like if you are not Japanese and you're walking down the street, people will say, oh, go home to your country or whatnot. But yeah. they'll treat you in a way that is not even necessarily bad. Although sometimes I'm sure it can be bad, but it's different. They really different to you. They other you. And mm-hmm. that I think in itself can make people feel uncomfortable enough. And it really gives them sort of the hint the signal that they don't get out. belong get out. here ultimately yeah um but i wouldn't necessarily say there's any discrimination towards expats i think just in general the percentage of expats in japan is probably out of the total working population like less than one percent which is far less than singapore so i think for most people oh, yeah it's not really something that's on their mind their day-to-day lives yeah yeah. I think Singapore also doesn't like outwardly show um, how they feel about expats, but they do it online. The, the, <laughs> the, the exclusion part is very much true because I, I talk to my foreigner friends and they find it very hard to make local friends. Yeah. Just because like there's that distance they feel and it ends up the foreigners basically just have other foreigner friends and it yeah. becomes this like echo chamber, right? Yeah. It's, I imagine it's the same for for Japan. Generally, yes. Um, I will say so. But I I would also say that, like, I personally don't entirely blame um, locals for not wanting to make friends with expats um, or necessarily, like, seeking out those friendships. I think expats just tend to be sort of like a revolving door community. You're here and then you're gone the next day. And so... Specifically for, for Tokyo or... Just in general, but more so in Japan, I would say it, because people here usually don't stay too long. They get positioned here by their companies on assignments, and then they leave after a few years. Because as as Canadians, right, it's like the complete opposite. Like my the company I was working for in Toronto, um, we would have people that weren't from Canada all the time. And the overall like feeling that we try to give them is that like, oh, we're so proud and happy that you chose Canada <laughs> to immigrate to. I'm not even yeah. kidding. It's like, oh, you're 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 trying Welcome. to apply for PR? Like, dude, I'm rooting for you. Like, yeah. I literally spent some later nights at the office just so like I could practice English with like two or three of them. Yeah. And it was like a camaraderie, right? Yeah. And yeah, I think that's that's not the feeling of immigrants everywhere else in the world. Definitely not. Canada is certainly an exception for immigrants, if not one of the, if not the only country that 
so welcomely or openly welcomes them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's cool. Cause like I see immigrants in Canada so much more differently in that I'm happy that they can bring over their culture to Canada. Yeah. Like there was, there's, there's, okay. It's not a new Vietnamese restaurant, but like there's a Vietnamese restaurant owned by actual Vietnamese people. Yes. And I think they're like first or second generation, but yeah, like their restaurant has been doing so well. Okay, pre-COVID, but their their restaurant was doing so well because their food was so authentic. Yeah. And yeah, like that's something I, I cheer for as as a Canadian. Yeah. And getting I, to see all the different uh, cultures. I remember going to Ho Chi Minh City once and this local Vietnamese person said, here's the best full pho, whatever you want to call it, in the city. And then yeah. we tried it and we're like... It's good, but it's no Shots better. Fired? It's no better oh. than something you would get oh. in Toronto. So yeah. I felt sort of bad at that point. Um, but I think it's it's interesting how we say um, Canada is so welcoming and open to new immigrants, and we encourage them even to bring their cultures to the country. Yet at the same time, I think I don't know about both of us, but at least myself growing up. Uh, sort of also did have some not troubles but like a lot of thoughts around fitting in and really belonging in Canada mm. yeah. so was that something you ever experienced yeah definitely like growing up the communities in my elementary middle and high school like there were not a lot of Asians whether it be like Chinese yeah. or just any East Asian um and so it was it was like a slippery slope, right? Like trying to fit in but not looking like them. And I'd say it was hard. It it took a toll on my mental health. And yeah. Talking to my brother who was like a few years older than me, there were even less Asians when he was at my school. And he actually really regretted that my mom moved us from like a super Asian community to like a more yeah. Western yeah. Caucasian community. Yeah, I also Grew up in a very, I don't know what the right word is, non, no Asian area of the city. And I remember my earliest memory of race was probably in grade one. There's like those playgrounds in the, what are they called? The backyards of the schools, the fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot what they're called. And it was recess. Uh-huh. And I climbed to the top of the playground and I remember just like looking down on everyone else so I can see everyone in Mm -hmm. like the same time, the same view with one view. And I had this sort of epiphany, this realization that like, oh, like I'm, I'm different than everyone else here. And it didn't really bother me per se. And of course no one was explicitly racist or I never really felt any racism growing up. Um, I think that's very fortunate uh, situation to be in. But I think from the fact that I was maybe six years old and I could tell already that I was different, sort of already it meant it was starting to affect my behavior and how I saw myself. You're saying this, you could only tell that you were different when you were on top of the playground. Well, I was short. <laughs> you can only see their shoulders uh, like no, down. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying I couldn't I didn't know until then. It's just this memory that's like etched into my mind. Maybe it's not true. It's just Okay. 
that's yeah. that's the moment when I realized I'm different. At least for me, um, I didn't really like meet a, my group of friends until like later in high school when I started volunteering, and I met a ton of people from the exact place that my that my mom moved us from, uh, Markham in Toronto. Yeah, so Chinatown. Uh, yeah, pretty the new Chinatown, and so yeah, like when I made those like more Asian friends, more Chinese Canadians, I I definitely felt a lot more at home. That was when I met you, right? Yeah, it's the same. Oh, okay. it's the same group. Okay, that's the same group. Same yeah, group. yeah. For, for myself too. Um, growing up, I don't think I had the first, let's say, East Asian classmate until grade three. But after I did, we became friends, me and him, very quickly. I remember going over to his place and we would play video games together because... Asian power. Because, I don't know, like not, not that being Asian means you play video games, but that was just where our interest was in like Nintendo rather than kicking a ball around. <laughs> no sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then similarly, grade four, my friend group expanded grade six um that was when there were a lot of other asian students in my class for the first time Mm -hmm. and i don't know it was never it was never a like intentional i want to be friends with you because you're asian sort of thing yeah but it always just came naturally like if you let us if you let the sheep flock in the field they'll all find herds of the same color for me it's it sounds so dumb now that I say it, but in grade three, like I went to a Caucasian friend's house for the first time in my life. Okay. And I forgot where we were eating, but like, where's the rice? I, maybe it was rice or noodles or something, but I expected us to use chopsticks. Right. <laughs> and so, and so I asked, Idiot. like, I asked his parents like, Oh, like where are the chopsticks? And they're like, Oh, we don't have any. And I'm like, sorry, China what? boy. I was like, what? what? I was literally like, a household cannot exist without a pair of chopsticks for everyone. Like, it's it's a staple. And then I realized, like, I I don't belong here. This is not this is not where I'm from. Yeah. And the the sports thing is like such a big issue growing up. Because what do you mean? All my friends literally they would play football during recess. They would play soccer. I I like playing soccer. Like soccer, soccer was fun. But they would play like hockey yeah they would like ski like semi professionally at age 14 or whatever and they would do all these sports that i was never doing because i was playing piano and going to chinese language school instead (laughs) and so literally i would still even though i lived in the super like western like community i would every saturday my mom would drive my brother and i to markham to learn chinese to learn man uh, cantonese yeah and Went, afterwards we went right back into the western community and just to be clear it's it's not that i i didn't get along with like all my caucasian friends like they they were definitely accepting of me right but there was just like this inner part of me that didn't connect fully with them and what's what's super interesting is that the non-asian friends that i made in high school and middle school were actually immigrants from like Europe. So huh. yeah, like I had I have like one really close Serbian friend and I have one really close uh Russian friend. Food for thought. 
So Jason, what advice would you give to someone who wants to fit into a new culture? Hmm. Uh, that's a very good question. Yeah. I guess, yeah, we, we both have some experience of that, like uh-huh. living in a different culture and trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll start off by saying that my first piece of advice would be to do your best and show that you're putting in the effort because I really feel that as long as you can kind of make it known that you're at least trying, it's really hard to fault you at the end of the day. But at the same time, I would say to be a bit cautious and just like keep things natural and not go overboard. Mm -hmm. I think it's especially the case um, like we see in Japan where there are these so-called like foreigners who come here and they just really want to fit in with Japan and they're acting all anime-ish and oh, it's, yeah. it's just really weird for <laughs> everyone in this situation in the room and everyone's yeah. sort of like looking at their feet and keeping their heads down and just trying to get through mm-hmm. dealing mm-hmm. with this awkward person this awkward foreigner <laughs> yes it's just so <laughs> weird to see yeah. um and i think my other piece of advice would be to know that like as a foreigner in another country you can always play the ignorance card like as a last resort if you are really not if you really mess up some social situation but you should also just be aware that there's a danger in playing that in that you sort of build a very tall wall that's hard to get over and really gain Mm. the full trust of the locals you're talking to yeah um yeah and additionally i would say that it's also sort of dangerous to sort of brand yourself with the personal persona of like the ignorant foreigner and i know that everyone goes to foreign countries with different goals in mind and different things they want to get out of it when they move there Um, but i would really say that like it's a really wasted opportunity to come out of living in, in another country for a few years and really have gotten or learned nothing from it just because mm-hmm. you told yourself I'm just an ignorant foreigner and this is how I am. Yeah. Yeah. And your world worldview is like not any wider than before. Yeah. You come out of it with really nothing. So yeah. I would say to also keep an open mind. How about you? I think it's just building on the same things you said, right? Like for me, it's really trying to respect the culture and the people. And so what I really like to do is I, I guess it's just a generic conversation starter, but just asking things about their culture, right? Like, let's say I'm in a room with a Singaporean. I'll be like, Hey dude, what's like the best laksa? And then, you know, every Singaporean has a different answer. Maybe they'll like start arguing about it, but everyone has some kind of input in that, in, in those situations. And yeah, like there's so many things that, might be different compared to where you're from. So what blew my mind is that public schools in Singapore start at like 7.30 a.m. Like I I can't even imagine waking up that early like growing up. I I used to (laughs) always miss first period. Not even going to school. Yeah, not even going to school, waking up. I always (laughs) missed first period in high school. And there's like so much stuff behind um, schooling in Singapore. Like the different grades, the different levels, like yeah, the, the tracks, the yeah, the different tracks to JC or university and Tears. the different universities here. And then there's also like 
NS, which is like natural national service. Oh yeah, the and then there's years. like a bunch of other stuff that I'm really ignorant towards. But like it's super cool listening about that. Yeah, and so yeah, and then oh man, dude, something I love asking Southeast Asian people oh, is no. stuff like. <laughs> Like, have you have you experienced no. winter before? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I I know I talked about this in my last podcast, but like, yeah, like a lot of people never need to wear a winter like winter coat in their entire life. Probably and not even a jacket. Yeah, not even a jacket. <laughs> Let alone a winter coat. Yeah, like I said, sandals. sandals. Uh, lucky. Yeah, lucky kids. So, have you made mistakes while trying to fit into the culture? Well, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, I think like going to any country and trying to fit in means that you're inevitably going to make some mistakes, right? Mm. Um, thinking back to when I was when I came to Japan, um, there are a lot of mistakes I made that I didn't even realize I made until after, and mm. so it's very possible that even till this day. I'm still making mistakes and I just haven't quite realized it yet. Um, especially because like Japanese, the language has a lot of things that can't be translated into English and things that you say that there's mm. no equivalent to in English. So many nuances. So, yeah. And so you're just often like I was saying the wrong things at the wrong time. Um, and it's also... The grammatical structure is set up in that there's different levels of politeness. Mm -hmm. And so you're always supposed to talk to people you don't know with a higher level of, with a quite a high level of politeness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what, what I probably like misread this in a textbook, but I read that um, because customers in Japan are like the top level of respect, like everyone like store clerks must talk to customers with like the highest level of respect. Yeah. yeah. But what I always thought was that therefore by being the customer, I was at a higher level than the store clerk and therefore I could talk Ooh. downwards to them using the lowest level of respectful language <laughs> in Japanese. Yeah. And so for my first like month or two, I just went around to every store and like city hall getting all my procedures done. I just spoke with everyone, just like the most casual, like gangster. You're you're giving everyone like a verbal middle finger. <laughs> yeah, like rude Japanese. And they almost have been like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? But I mean, I'm sure they realized I wasn't from here. Yeah. Um, Does it take long yeah. for them to notice that you're not from here? Uh, No, not not long at all. Some okay. Some of them, like some of my friends just say like, yeah, like I can just tell you're not from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, is there is there a word to describe like someone that left and then came back as, as a Jap in Japanese or something? Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, it's called kikokushicho, where it means to return to the country, kikoku, mm. and then shijo means for some reason it means like little girl. <laughs> Ah uh, yes, the perfect like adjective child. for you. It it like <laughs> no one no one knows why it's girl, but it's yeah, like yeah. children who um like left the country and then returned back. But that's really referring to kids who were born in Japan, spent mm -hmm. their childhoods mm -hmm. abroad and then moved back. Mm. Um whereas I wasn't born here at all, so I wouldn't be called one of them. Yeah. 
dude i have such an embarrassing story for <laughs> what for, you do for cantonese so like <laughs> in cantonese there's there's also a specific term it's called joksing and because there's like so many words with the same tones in cantonese and mandarin right yeah i literally thought joksing meant um catch star so like you you go to a foreign country to like I don't know. Try and make it big, and that's how your life is. And then I literally thought that until last year or like a year and a half ago, and I looked it up and I googled it, and it's it's growing bamboo. It's nothing like catching star, and it's like growing bamboo because like oh they'll they'll make it there eventually that kind of thing. And so oh that's the meaning. Be, because I thought there was such like a high connotation with. Catching star, I was like, oh yeah, I'm proud to be Joksing. Oh, I'm proud to be this. And then I realized I'm just like dissing my own self for like defecting to a different country. I'm just the stupid bamboo. Yeah, I'm just a stupid bamboo. <laughs> yeah, that was that was awkward. So many mistakes. But in in Singapore, something man, because I don't know, it for me, ordering food is always so challenging at hawker centers. Because, really, because yes, things are in English, but sometimes you don't know how to order something, or like something oh, might have a bunch of different options, or the staff don't speak any English. Yeah, that too. That too. Yeah, and like for me, I was asking my Singaporean friend recently, and so you can get something called like wonton mee, or just like um, I don't know, like noodles and With some like fish balls or something like that. Yeah, 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 but yeah. yeah. What's weird is like you can you can ask for it in a soup or dry. Or you can get the dry, yeah, I yeah, like yeah, the dry yeah. ones. I always get the dry one, but what yeah. always confused me is that they give you a bowl of soup on the side. <laughs> on the side, I yes. know. So, so I was literally like, "Did they hear me wrong? Do yeah. I need to do? Is it called like wet want on me?" But I put a bit of the soup, so it's like yeah, wet ish. Yeah, and I so, never understood that. I'm like, it's it's 30 degrees. I'm outdoors. Yeah. Why do I want this bowl <laughs> of hot soup? <laughs> and and so like my my Singaporean friend like gave me the revelation of you just drink the soup like normal. You drink it. Yeah. Or if the noodles are too spicy, you put some of the soup in. Oh, and I was that just I never like, knew. oh, okay, that that makes sense. But ordering food is always a challenge because okay, another thing specific to Singapore is. You might be ordering like a plate of fried noodles, uh, char kway teow, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the price is $4 yes. slash $6. Yes, yes, and yes. And then I never understand how to order it because it's I don't not know, char kway teow, large, but then there might be like a middle one. I, I don't know if they're referring yeah. to the small one, the medium, or the large. And so I asked a Singaporean recently about this too. And what they say, say is the, the amount. No, what they say is they say it in Chinese. So you you say like char kway teow, xiao de, and xiao, xiao is small. small or da de, right? Yeah. And then I'm just like, but how do how do like Indian Singaporeans order this stuff? <laughs> and to this day, I still don't know. Maybe oh, maybe okay. I'll ask an Indian Singaporean eventually. But okay, if there are any Indian Singaporeans who have an answer, we would like to know. Yeah. Ordering food is always a challenge. <laughs> and and I try to start speaking Mandarin first because 
I want to practice my Mandarin. But the thing is, I, I, I mostly speak Cantonese, right? Like, my Mandarin sucks ass. Okay. And so I'll try and order. They'll, like, try and confirm or, like, ask me what I want for an option. And then I'll just be yeah. like, uh... And then I reply in, like, my Canadian English. <laughs> and then they give me, like, a disapproving look. Not, not actually, but, like, that's, that's how it feels. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. At, at least there's the option to fall back on English in Singapore. That's true. That's always that's nice. True. Yeah. Wish I had that sometimes. Do you do you ever have to pull out a Google Translate in the middle of a conversation? Because you just no. don't know what they're saying. No, and I mean, pe- pe- um, I mean, ninety nine percent of daily interactions, I wouldn't know what they're saying. Yeah, because um, it's simple enough. Yeah, and people in Japan, like the store service people, are just so unnecessarily respectful that. Yeah, you can just say yes, and it can make no sense, and they'll just nod and <laughs> smile. And if they didn't understand, they'll just do both of what you yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, sir, do you want uh, green tea or brown tea? And you say yes, and they'll be like, <laughs> okay, and bring you both. <laughs> we'll make it happen for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but see. I was actually YouTubing uh, simple Mandarin conversations to try and see my competency level of Mandarin because I was <laughs> yeah I was just checking, and I realized it's hard because people speak differently knowing they're speaking to a native versus oh, yeah, knowing they're very, speaking very to like a non-native. Because like I yeah. look Chinese, I look like I would speak Mandarin. Yeah, but I really don't. Yeah. Plus, I think. Chinese is one of those languages where if you look Chinese, you assume they speak Chinese. And if they don't look Chinese, you just assume they don't speak Chinese. So unlike yeah. English, where you never really Anyone. know. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to Far From Home podcast and listening about how we try to fit in. We'll see you next time. Bye. See ya. See ya.